Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. My graduates from my school being Forbes, backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Views shared in this episode are personal opinions and not endorsed by Google or Google Pay. Thanks to Google Pay for sponsoring this episode. All right, guys, welcome to a very special episode of Earn Your Leisure. So, you know, this is something that we haven't done in the past, but we are looking forward to where we're going to talk about some real topics related to finance Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, people have questions about. People always ask, but nobody really ever touches these things. Mm, The taboo of things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're going to get into it. And, um, you know, we got some familiar faces that's joining us today. So legends in the game. For sure. Yeah. So the first one, if you're watching Earn Your Leisure, if you have watched Earn Your Leisure, I'm pretty sure you're very, very familiar with Kizia. Um, She has been on Market Monday. She's been on Earn Your Leisure. And... She was a star at Invest Fest. Yeah, yeah, let up the stage. So yeah, the holy trilogy. <laughs> um, so uh yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure you know Professor Keys if you're on Instagram, if you follow Earn Your Leisure, it's just killing the game, a brilliant entrepreneur, um, extremely gifted and talented, uh, you know, one of the best speakers that we have come across. And she really, really knows her stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. teaching teaching entrepreneur, teaching financial literacy, there's no one 
better in the game than Professor Keys. So, uh, Professor Keys, this is good. This is gonna be fun. Welcome, <laughs> welcome back to EYL. Hi guys, it is a pleasure to be here with the goats, the greatest of all time. Y'all know I absolutely love you, you guys, and I love giving you all hugs, hugging your neck in Atlanta. Congratulations on all of your success. You already know I'm in your stories, I'm in your timeline, I'm in your feed. So thank you so much for having me back on the show. I can't wait to have conversations about taboo topics related to money yeah this is going to be fun and we brought some folks along with us so i wanted to give a quick shout out to the good folks at google pay uh for sponsoring this episode of earn your leisure y'all know if you don't google pay is a safe and simple and helpful way to manage money and since we always talk about ways of making money and how to earn money right earn your leisure it's most important that we know how to manage that money so google pay is an app that can definitely help you with that it gives you insight into your spending through features like weekly summaries tracking trends over time and showing what you spent at every business so you can do what you really want to do with your money. I remember we, we come from the days of where you kept every receipt after you spent. Remember those days? Yeah. <laughs> so when you got an app like Google Pay, you can do all that in one. Another thing that it does track is obviously your spending. Since we're on the road a lot and we eat out all the time, you get to see where the money's really going, man. So <laughs> number one, we got to cut back on our spending for our food and, and we got to fix our diets. So <laughs> <laughs> You get, to, you get to track everything that you spend. So shout out to shout out to Google. So Google's always decided their time. So yeah, yeah. Shout out to the, the good folks at Google Pay. So um, let's get into this. So all right, we're going to talk about a variety of different things today, and it's going to be a free flowing conversation. So the first thing we want to talk about is uh, financial etiquette, as far as like what's taboo, right? Because this is something that's extremely important, not only for adults, but um, for adults that's teaching their children. Mm -hmm. And I feel like te children learn about financial literacy through us, through adults, through their parents. So sometimes I feel like we're teaching children bad habits without even actually realizing mm -hmm. we're teaching them, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna talk about a couple of different things. I wanna get your opinion. And um, I want you to rate these things on the taboo scale. <laughs> One being not taboo at all, 10 being extremely taboo. And then I'm going to ask you, you know, if if it's the wrong way to actually phrase the, the question, what would be the right way to phrase the question? So the first one that I want to ask you is... Um, this Hold on, we got to see if she's ready. You ready? Hey, you ready yes, I'm ready. I feel like this is double dutch. And I'm on the outside just kind of doing like this, like tag me in, guys. Come on. <laughs> hey, that, was a, that was a rhetorical question. I know you're always I ready. Ready. I'm not ready. I'm ready. <laughs> The, the, the first one, this is something that I actually recently gave a TED talk about this. Um, I used to always ask adults this all the time, and I got, a, I never really got a real answer. Um, how much money do you make? This is an extremely important question. I'm going to explain this why this is important. Because I feel like, especially for children, in order for them to aspire to be something, it's good to actually have a gauge of what to expect. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, you might want to be an architect, but how much money does an architect make? Depending on how much money an architect makes, that might determine if you actually want to be an architect or not. Yeah. So it's easy to find out how much uh, a sports player makes because we could just look and see, that okay, LeBron yeah. James makes $40, 000, $40 million a year. Yeah. So that's easy. But you know, a lot of these other professions, they're not listed and you don't know. So when I used to ask these questions a lot, you know, sometimes people will tell you, but a lot of times they'd be like, you know, that's rude. Don't ask adults how much money they make. And even as adults, sometimes like being a financial advisor, I used to have to sit down with clients and I would ask them, you know, how much money you make? 
after a while, people started telling me, but a couple of times, people would get a little nervous and they'd be like, they would, it was weird. So I could tell that they were wired from a young age to not, not to discuss how much money they make. So how do you feel about that? Is that a taboo question to ask or not? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm rate this, guys. And Rashad, you already kind of tapped into it on a scale from one through 10. I'm gonna rate this like a nine, <laughs> like a nine, maybe yeah. nine and a half. And the reason why I say that is some of the reasons that you already alluded to, and it's that I think that society sometimes erroneously associates someone's personal wealth with the economic value that they create specifically in the workforce. And we know that this correlation is absolutely incorrect, right? People can create value in many different ways, both inside and outside the workplace. So when we enter into conversations and we know that this is very much a taboo topic, I think we enter into what some folks call the numbers game, right? Where the person who has the highest number is somehow perceived as being the winner, that number being your wage and your salary. And those folks who have the lower number, right? Those folks feel a little shame. Maybe you feel a little disappointment because you feel like you can't compete with that individual. But here's the thing, right? There are so many different ways in which salary and earning can be influenced. One of those things is negotiation, but there's also a few things that you can't really control to a certain extent. Office politics. We know offices have their own little political ideologies and the ways that people operate. There's also the wage gap. So, People of color and also women specifically are affected by that. I'm a black woman. I've been affected by that. But then also company budgets. So when you think about the social sector, there are people who create maximum value in really phenomenal ways. But the way in which the budget is set up, perhaps they can't be compensated to the extent to which they contribute. So when we're talking about the numbers game, one of the things that I think is it becomes taboo because people are trying not to, quote unquote, lose. On the other hand, though. I think it's important that we absolutely have those conversations. I was reading a report by Society of Human Resource Managers, and one of the things that they said is women negotiate their salary. Only 45% of women negotiate their salary. And when you're talking about men, 68% of men negotiate their salary. And the way that you come in at a job, that starting salary can influence the ways in which you earn over the years. Mm. Well, let me let me just follow up on that. Um... Because that actually was kind of going to be a follow-up question. So negotiation of job. This is also a very awkward conversation. I want to ask you a two-part question. The first part is going to be from an employee standpoint. So when you're at a job interview and you get through all of this situation and all of that, at what point should you ask how much you're going to be paid? Or should you say, this is how much I would like to be paid? Um, Because this is something that's real, you know, everybody's kind of nervous with their job. So a lot of people are going in and they're scared to say how much they want to be paid. They don't even ask how much. And then it's like you just take whatever is offered to you. So at what point should you bring up salary and how should you bring that up? Yeah. And then we got to rate that. that, That's a great question. But on one to ten, where are we going with this? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's not for a taboo conversation, but we have to rate the extent to which you should be asking the question. It should be an absolute 10. And I think that's where the research comes into play. You know, I always like to say, don't swim in an ocean of knowledge and drown in ignorance. You want to make sure that you're doing your research about that particular position, even as you're applying to the job. But you also want to find people who are in that industry and you want to have a courageous conversation. Maybe you don't approach it like young Rashad and you say, hey, how much money do you make? But you say, in context, I'm trying to enter into your industry, right? And I see the position that you work. I aspire to be where you are. Can you give me the range in which people in this position make in regard to salary? What I've learned is sometimes people are more comfortable to give you a range. Maybe they're making $100,000, but they don't want to tell you that. And they'll say you can make between 90 and 115. You pair that up with the research that you find on the internet. And I think that sets you up in a good position so that when you go into the interview, you can ask, what are they offering? And you know, at least from your negotiation position, what may be fair or not. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the beginning question because 20 years ago, that's exactly how I got into the profession of teaching. I asked the teacher, my favorite phys ed teacher, I said, how much you make? He told me 150000 I Ooh. said, you can make that as a teacher. And he told what? me again, how to make it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he had a whole plan. This was it. He had base salary, which is 120. He had been working for 25 years. And then he coached sports that he thought nobody really cared about at the school. So he was the golf coach in our community. People weren't really playing golf. He was the bowling coach. We didn't even know we had a bowling team. And then he, had, he was the <laughs> soccer coach. And so he combined all those salaries. And I said, that's what I want to be. And so I'm glad that you asked that question. You asked that question and the way you answered was perfect. But I'm going to ask you one, and you can rate this one to 10 on Taboo, because how much you make is important, but how much do you owe is another Ooh. conversation that people Ooh. really want to have. And it can be a little touchy. <laughs> Some people may be a little embarrassed of it. But how do you rate it, and how do we access it in a more comfortable manner? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say I would rate that up at a nine or a 10. Um, a lot of us experience a lot of anxiety, you know, as it relates to money, right? And a lot of that anxiety is triggered by life experiences, right? Maybe you're going through a divorce, you're trying to figure out how much this separation is going to cause. Maybe you spent all the way up to your credit limit, right? Maybe you're behind on your car payments. And a lot of this has to do with, right, the money that you owe or that you could owe. And a lot of people feel a lot of embarrassment around that because they think that people might judge them. I think the way in which you approach that conversation is going to go back to the C word that I mentioned earlier, and that has to do with context. Why are you asking me? Right? Like When you ask that question to another individual, is it because you're asking that question because you want to support them? Are you asking that question because you would like to share information? Are you asking that question for real practical things like maybe you're in a relationship and you're about to move in together, right? You're thinking that you're about to get into a relationship, get married to somebody, but you're marrying them and you're marrying their earning and also their debt. And so having that type of conversation can help set you up with the type of financial plan to platform you in a position where you can be successful. I think context around the ways in which we manage currency is the best ways in which we can have these conversations. Let me ask you this. Um, for business owners, this is a, this is another awkward uh, conversation to have when people ask how much are their services. And I see this all the time. People kind of get nervous. Some people say, you can give me what you think is worth. People, they'll say like, well, it's cost this, but for you, I'll do this. Like, 
I feel like this is extremely important for entrepreneurs to be confident in their in their price points. So mm -hmm. how do you how do you develop confidence in your price points? And how do you know? Because I know why people shortchange themselves because they're, they're thinking that they're going to say a number that's too high and people are going to walk away and they'll rather take some money than no money. But right. doing that, they're actually compromising their business integrity. Absolutely. So what's your advice for business owners? Listen, you speaking my, my language now and that, that's entrepreneurship. <laughs> I always tell folks, if you are selling a product or service that nobody wants to buy, you don't have a business, you have a hobby. But on the other hand, sometimes you absolutely do have a business, but you have the wrong customer. As an entrepreneur, it is absolutely important that you price the product according to what it took for you to craft that product. What are all the materials, right? What are all the services that you had to pay for in order for you to bring that product to market? After you do that, you have to find the type of customer for which your product or service is a solution. And when you find that person, it's important for you to understand this. You need to charge what it costs unapologetically, and they need to pay what it's absolutely worth. I heard you mention, hey, you know, I know these individuals, right? Pay, you know, whatever it is, because we have a relationship. But here's the thing with friends and family discounts right? One, there's a lot of people asking for the friends and family discount and they're not even related to you. <laughs> and number two, when it comes down to friends and family discounts and people pricing out products, they weren't there when you started your t-shirt business and you had to figure out whether it was going to be direct to garment print, whether you had to get an envelope, whether you was going to stamp it, whether it was going to be a drop ship. They weren't there looking at your cash flow statements, cash in, cash out. So asking them to make a business decision as a consumer it's just not the right entrepreneurial approach. They don't call you Professor Keys for nothing. <laughs> you, you <laughs> when I heard the friends and family discount, I was like, listen, I just grew these edges back. Y'all trying to, you know, snatch them out. Listen. Friends and family, they just met yesterday. <laughs> exactly. Professor Keys, you passed that segment with flying colors. We're going to move on to, to our next segment. It's called Best Move, Worst Move. And so a lot of times we have a relationship with money. It could be positive, it could be negative, but everybody's going to have a relationship with it. And everybody's going to have a journey that comes along with it. So I want to start with what is the best move somebody can have in the beginning or in the middle part of their financial journey? I always tell people that you have to put your money to work. I like to think of my money as a person, right, in my financial life. And what that means is that money can't live in my house and not go get itself a job. What do I mean by that? That means that your money needs to be going to work for you in your savings account, right? Are you saving money in an account that accrues interest, right? Your money needs to be going to work for you in investments, however that looks like, whether you're investing in real estate or whether you're investing through a brokerage account. Inflation is real. I mean, this year, I think they're estimating that inflation is going to be between 4% and 6%, and that means that your dollar today is not worth the same as your dollar last year. So how is your money going to work in investments where the returns can be much higher than what inflation could be? 10%, 12%, that is money going to work. Finally, you need to be thinking about how your money could be going to work in multiple streams of income. I have perhaps a similar 
similar story to you, Troy. I don't know, but I was working a job um, for a little bit. I got hired into the job as an events manager and I inherited a really talented administrative assistant. We worked together for two years. She went and she found a, another position, another job. But when she left, she said, now I'm going to make $60,000. It's 10,000 more than what I'm making now, which would have been 50,000. Well, the crazy thing about it is at that time, I was making $42,000. <laughs> My administrative assistant was making more than me for two years. And when I heard that conversation, one of the promises that I made to myself, one, I will be having a courageous conversation as it relates to negotiations, but two, I need to make sure that I put the money that I'm, I'm earning to work in a side business, in a side hustle. Um, the thing that I want people to realize and understand when it comes down to best money moves is that if your money is in your house, eating up all your food, drinking up all your water, leave, leaving your lights on, running your light bill up, then your money, is proverb proverbially under your mattress so all right so those are the best moves what are some of the worst moves that people can make and have made in their financial journeys i would say this not getting all up in your money's business and uh i don't know how y'all grew up in your household but this is how i grew up we don't lock no doors in my house because you lock a door in your house when you a child gets taken off the hinges right <laughs> when it comes down to privacy first you want to respect the privacy of your child but if you're you know paying all the bills in your house let me tell you something there's not going to be too many secrets up in that house I think sometimes when it comes down to money, people make guesstimates when it comes to spending and also when it comes to earning. And so I like to tell people, you need to get all up in your money's business. What does that look like? So we're talking about savings. People say, okay, you need to have three to six months worth of emergency savings. In order to calculate that, you need to understand how much you make each month. Have you taken a critical look at your earnings, at your deposits, and also looked at what you spend, so cash in and cash out, and gotten down to that bottom number? That's a big reason why I like Google Pay, because you can see the money that you spent. You can also search like deposits, and it lets you know how many deposits have come in, and you can also see what you've spent. The other thing is, I think it's important for you to understand if you're investing in, let's say, your retirement, so an individual retirement account, a 401k, 403b, have you opened up that account and started asking yourself critical questions about the mutual funds or the securities in which you selected, right? So that's getting into your money's business. Like, do you know why you chose that mutual fund? Do you know why you want to invest in a specific index? <laughs> Also, separately, as it relates to a side business, as I brought up earlier, um, you need to make sure that you're understanding how much money your side hustle is bringing in and also how much your side hustle or your side business is costing you. And I think the applications work very well in helping you understand the ways in which you can manage your finances. Good. Every dollar is a worker. What better way to try it? <laughs> yes, you can't sell it now. Dollars, nickels, quarters, pennies, none of y'all. All of y'all working. Let me just follow up on that real quick um, before we leave this segment. You had mentioned something that was very important. You said that it's important for people to know like what they're invested in. And um, you mentioned the 401k. And that's something that's extremely important because most people, the average person, that the majority of their investment portfolio is in retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. um, and that most of their net worth is either in a retirement account or their home. That's the average American's net worth is tied up in those two things. But a lot of people don't have any idea what they're invested in in their 401k 
Yeah. They don't even know like, you know, what their options are. They just money just comes out of their paycheck and that's all they know. Can you just give them a little like education on, on how to actually go about investing properly in a retirement plan? Absolutely. Um, first, though, I want to I mean, I'm going to talk about that in a second. One particular rule that I think is of importance and relevance to this conversation that brings a little more structure and parameters in the ways in which you manage your money is a rule that I follow that has helped me get to the, the financial place that I'm in now. And that is the 50 30 20 rule. 50% of your money should absolutely go towards what your needs are. So those are the bills that you have to pay, making at least the minimum contribution um, on your credit card or the payment on your credit card, that's paying your rent or your mortgage. 30% um, of your resources should go to whatever your wants are. So what are those wants? Is that a subscription you know, that you're paying for? Is that that you wanna go turn up at brunch with your friends every other week? And then the final 20% is exactly what you just asked about, Rashad, and that is your savings. And when you hear savings, you automatically think of a savings account. You should absolutely have one of those. But it also um, relates to your retirement account as well. With your retirement account, you can look at your 401k, your 403b, your TSP, which is your thrift savings plan, um, and also your IRA, which is your individual retirement account, as the vehicle. But what fuels the vehicle are the mutual funds that you Select. So there's two ways that you can look at that. You can look at perhaps um, investing in a, a fund that tracks your age, right? So that specific fund um, it is like thank you, a target, yep, a target date fund. You invest in that fund and the fund managers, as you get older, your investments in that fund become more conservative. But when you're younger, it's a little more aggressive. So the fund ages with you. Perhaps when you're younger, it's investing in equities and stocks. But when you're older, they're investing in more conservative assets like bonds. But you can also invest in funds that follow major indices. Hmm. Not again. Whole lot of game. Whole lot of game. <laughs> Professor Keith, we, we got one more segment. You got some time for us? I hope so. We're going to call this questions for keys. That's what we're going to call this segment. Oh, questions for okay, keys. alliteration. <laughs> you know, a little bit, a little bit. So questions. in this segment, we're going we're gonna to go over some, some scenarios, some case studies. And I want you to point, uh, pinpoint some important questions that people should be asking if they're in those situations. I'm going to start with one that's near and dear to me, and that's understanding your student loans. Mm -hmm. If we're in this situation, what are the questions we should be asking in this scenario? Okay, so um, that is near and dear to my heart as well. I think it's important for you to know whether you have a federal loan um, or whether you have a private loan, uh, because the ways in which you pay back those loans may have different parameters, right? So if you have a federal loan, perhaps there are some assistance available to you, like right now what's headlining in the news, the public student loan forgiveness. Um, if you have a federal loan, a specific federal loan, you may be able to work at a nonprofit organization. You may be able to work for the government. And if you make 120 qualifying payments, that could be used towards potentially getting your student loans um, forgiven. One of the things you should also understand is what type of repayment plans are available to you. You can repay based off of the income that you earn, but you can also repay uh, based off of other methodologies. 
Another question that I would ask in regard to student loans are what are some ways that you can pay off your student loans early? I was able to pay off my student loans um, before 10 years. And a big reason for that is I started a nonprofit organization and a for-profit business two years after I graduated from school. And the money that I earned, I specifically asked my loan service provider if I could make those contributions towards the principal balance of my student loan. And that helped me reduce my balance in a more significant and sustainable way so that I could pay it off a little bit earlier. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up that point about 120 qualifying payments because if people have been paying attention, that has now changed. The literature has changed on it. The, 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 the way that they now the, define qualifying payments has differentiated from how it used to be. Whereas when people were applying a couple of years ago, no one was getting accepted, right? And no so one. now we've got 120... <laughs> 120 qualified payments um, mm -hmm. and plus 10 years of service, like you said, depending on your profession, you can be forgiven. So mm -hmm. keep yourself up to date with that. Point. Yeah, yeah. So another big one. Um, what questions should you ask, or what should you know when you are in the process of buying a car? Extremely, extremely important. The first question you should ask is, what is your credit score? Um, I think that that is 100% important. And one of the things that I didn't know until I was in the market to buy a home and also a, a new vehicle, um, shout out to Asada, that's the name to my car, RIP, she, she died a couple weeks ago. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> is that there are different credit scores assigned to different assets, like your car and also like your home. And so when I was going car shopping, just like when I was going house shopping, I went and looked for the specific FICO score that was associated with that particular asset. And one of the things that people don't know is sometimes that score might be a little higher than the score that you might see in Experion, Equifax, etc. on just a general level. So that would be one question I would ask. Second question I would ask is, is this something that you can really afford comfortably? So we talked about the 50-30-20 rule, right? So 50% is dedicated towards your, um, your needs. And so are you buying a car because you want to flex, right? <laughs> and so you're trying to buy at the top of your budget. Are you buying a car that you absolutely can afford? And a way in which you can determine that is making sure, again, that you get all in your money's business and you know the cash coming in and also the cash going out yeah i'm saving the best for last and we spoke about kind of sharing with other people so what are the questions you should be asking when you're sharing your expenses with someone a spouse a girlfriend like when when and when's the appropriate time to do it what are the questions we should be asking you know that's something that uh that i'm still exploring <laughs> you know i'm out here single in these streets <laughs> but when i have a conversation with someone who I'm getting serious about, I think it's important to make sure that your financial philosophy is as compatible as you are as people, right? So perhaps your values around money may differ from the person with whom you're dating. And I think the ways in which you can have that conversation, a lot of it has to do with what I think is, again, contextualizing conversations. If you want to move in together, you want to have a conversation about how much you're earning, but you also want to have a conversation about who's contributing and then how much. Is it going to be 50-50? Is it going to be 60-40? Is it going to be a 70-30 split? You want to have a conversation about um, credit 
credit scores. You know, I think that that's important. A lot of people leverage credit in order to buy um, assets, right? But if one person has an excellent credit score and the other person does not, then that means perhaps you're only leveraging one, one person's credit score over the other, unless, of course, you add them as an authorized user to your account. I think the other thing is, you want to have conversations perhaps about some of the different things happening in the news, right? So instead of it seeming like a Q&A, like an interview, perhaps you can look at what's happening um, on some of these major news work networks. And when you have those conversations, sometimes the values come out. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Professor Keys, always a pleasure. Certified gym dropper, as my brother MGM. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you, you guys. Nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Thank I'm you so much it. for having me, guys. You already know I 100 100% support Earn Your Leisure. Thank you, Google Pay, for having us for a real deal conversation, and um, I look forward to continue conversations. There you have. It. Thank you. Thank you. The amazing Kizia Williams. Yes. Yes. So. For the second half of this show, we are bringing on another heavy hitter. This is a highly anticipated situation. <laughs> Legends so, only. Yes. It was only a matter of time. <laughs> so, <laughs> Anthony O'Neill for a long, long time. Um, number one bestseller. Killing the podcast game. That's why I used to I used to see him as a competition on the podcast. <laughs> We saw him up there. We saw him. We saw his pitch. That's the first time, the first time that I really got familiar with him. But um, really, yeah, really dynamic business leader, thought leader, and um, he also has a very good way with words. Mm -hmm. He's a very good orator, um, a accomplished speaker. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah, this is this is like I said. I know people have been anticipating this collaboration for a while, so. I'm glad that we're able to, you know, do this, and hopefully this could be the start of a lot of other things that we can do together. So, uh, first and foremost, Anthony, how are you, brother? Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Man, earn your leisures, man. There's no competition, brother. You know what I'm saying? Y'all are earn your leisures. So y'all, y'all are the goats right now. I'm coming for you, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I respect the generals in the space, man. It's such an honor to be on y'all's platform, bro. We appreciate you appreciate being it. here. Congratulations on everything, man. Man, thank you all so much, man. Appreciate what y'all doing for the community. Uh, Invest Fest was off the chain, man. So again, salute. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. So, um, all right. So let's jump into this, Troy. You want yeah, to man. So, first so, segment? so we we had a few segments with the Professor Kezia uh, Williams prior to you coming on, and we got a couple of segments we want to do with you. Now, okay. the first one we're gonna call this "Can I Afford This Right Now?" All right. So in this oh. segment, we're gonna be <laughs> exactly. That's a question we ask every day. Right? That's a daily question. <laughs> We're going to start right away. So we're going to be discussing how to determine whether or not you can afford different financial commitments by taking on an honest look at your expenses. All right, you cool with that? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's have some fun. I'm going to be real now. Y'all may not agree, but I'm going to be real. I'm, I'm going to keep it real since it is a real deal. All right. So uh, first one that I want to start with, this is probably the most common thing anybody is faced with vacation trips this happens all the time you know whether it's college kids at spring break whether it's adults going on a you know destination wedding that they really can't afford but <laughs> they don't want to you know financial peer pressure is a very real thing so how do you feel about vacations that you may not be able to afford man here's the truth i love vacations i'm gonna keep it real with you you know i i, I love them but i also love 
staycations. Now, staycations is when, you know, I may not have the financial means uh, to go out of state, to go out of the country because I'm focused on my vision for my life. So if your vision is to get out of debt, if you if you're married watching this and your vision is to build your first home um, or maybe you're single and you're like, yo, my vision is to pay off my student loans. Well, you may need to step back and look at your budget and see, all right, cool. Can I go on this vacation or should I stay on this staycation? Maybe just go to the hotel downtown and save me three grand and put that towards my debt. So uh, you got to really ask yourself, can you afford it? Now, if you if you were on my show and you telling me you're drowning in a bunch of debt, I'm going to tell you, nah, you really can't afford to do nothing. No dates, no, no ice cream shops, <laughs> pretty much nothing, man. But, you know, right now, the key thing is, What's your vision and make sure that everything that you're doing is aligning to your vision and helping you get there, not slowing you down or preventing you from getting there. Yeah, I'm glad we're having this segment uh, with, with Google Pay because obviously that's going to help everybody see their financial situations a lot clearer. And I know you're a debt free guy. You don't like living debt free. Uh, <laughs> you like living debt free. You don't like having debt um, as part of the portfolio. So this is another key one, right? Like vacations are important, but deciding when to buy or can I afford to buy versus am I going to have to rent? Mm. You know what, man? I, I think one thing that we really got to have a conversation about, especially within our culture, is that there's nothing wrong with renting. You know, I think buying is is very important because ownership is very important. I want to be clear up front. Um, owning your home, um, ownership in general, owning your business, et cetera, is very, very important. But you want to make sure that you're you're not house poor. And what I mean is you go out there and you get this, this great mortgage, this huge mortgage, this beautiful home, but you can't afford to put a bed in your bedroom. You can't afford to put a couch inside of the living room. You, you you can't afford to cut the grass. You are scared to cut on the water because you're already maxed out. And so what I tell people is, again, step back and look at your budget. And what I teach people is make sure that your mortgage is less than 25% of your take-home pay. Now, if you're going to stretch it a little bit past that, that's cool. I'm with it. But ballpark, even with me, I'm right at about 22% with my personal mortgage because that is the only debt that I actually rock with. But there's nothing wrong with renting. Rent until you are ready to purchase a home. You know, one of the key things I'll tell people is, how do you know you're ready to purchase a home? Key thing is, do you have 20% to put down on your home? You guys know this because if we can put down 20%, we'll avoid a PMI. That's a private mortgage insurance. So if we avoid that PMI, that can save you anywhere from 100 up to $500 if you're going through the FHA route. Um, so that's one key. Number two key is... You know, do you have enough money to at least get you into the home and you have six months on reserve to where if you lost your job during the transition, um, if the pandemic hit again, at least you have something to get you and your family through. So there's nothing wrong with renting. Y'all, to be real with you, I've been making my kind of money now for about six, seven, about seven years. I just purchased my first home about four years ago uh, because I wanted to make sure when I got in my home, I had the bread um, and I can afford it. And I was at peace every time I walked into my home. So let me just follow up on that real quick. So you said you said twenty percent, right? Twenty five percent of your take home pay. So so all right. So if, and take home pay is extremely important mm -hmm. because yeah. you could be getting paid ten thousand dollars a month, but your take home pay is seven thousand. So maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then so, keep in mind too, the banks, y'all know this. You just work for the bank, man. They're going to prove you off of your gross income. They're not going to approve you off of your net income. So that's why it's very important for you. Before you get your pre-approval, you sit down, you look at your budget and you say, you know what? I can afford 
$3,000 a month. You take that to the bank, tell them, send me a pre-approval based upon that right there, nothing more. Because if you can, if you know you can afford $3,000, and let's say your gross is $8,000, they're going to approve you at $4,500 to $5,000 mortgage payment. And you don't want that. Yeah, that's extremely, that's a gem right there. I just want to take one minute to just let that soak in because that's a shout out to our partner, MGO Mortgage. He always talks about that all the time. Don't be house rich and cash poor. And um, a lot of people are overextending themselves for the, their dream home, but they really can't afford it. And what you said is extremely important. You get a mortgage based off of your gross, not your net. But you don't live off of gross, you live off of net. So it's up to you to actually have enough financial responsibility, enough education to understand that even though you're getting a mortgage for 100000 if you're only taking home $65,000, you got to work off the $65,000 number, mm -hmm. not the $100,000 number. That's a big fact. Well, that's big facts, man. Big facts. Yeah, yeah. Anthony, I, I want to go to one because this one's personal. It's near and dear. I actually went through it. Can I afford a new car right now? I'll tell you, uh, and Rashad was there when I did it. <laughs> I said, how much are the payments? They told me $574 a month. I said, man, I'm only making $1,200 a month. Let's do it. <laughs> <Why not>? So, <laughs> can you give us the, can I afford this right now? A new car. That's, an, that's a scenario. Hey, man, you, you, now, now this is where people may hate me when I say this. So listen, uh, if you have to finance it, you can't afford the car. Uh, my, my old personal opinion is if I could pay cash for it, I got a fully funded emergency fund. I can afford whatever I can pay cash for. You know, um, I just purchased my dream car. Uh, maybe about well, it's February. February sixteenth uh, is when I purchased my my dream car. A car is a depreciating asset in my in my personal opinion. Um, and so, if I have to finance it, if I have to finance it, then I can't afford the car. Uh, so I want financial freedom. Yeah, that was the wise word. They said if you can't buy it twice, you can't afford it. Yeah, Jay Z is the man. <laughs> so you don't believe in leasing cars at all? No, I don't, man. And I know on the business side, I know Professor Keys would probably go off on me, um, you know, but, you know, I understand I understand the business method. And I don't knock people who uh, who believe in that method. That's totally, totally cool. Um, you know, but for me, I just believe in ownership. I believe in owning everything that I have. Um, I don't do any debt. I pay cash for it. There you have it. There you have it. All right. Let's move on. Yeah, man. And this this one I haven't experienced in about 10 years. Um, because I've been a married man, but let's talk about dating. Uh oh, nah, man. Let me. All right, let's <laughs> end of the show, brother. End of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we price out of dating? Can we afford it or not? What's going on? Give us some advice. If you just started dating, can you afford to date? Man, you know, here's my thing, man. Um, if you can't afford to pay your bills at home, then you can't afford to date. If, if you're struggling uh, to pay your light bill, if you're struggling to, you know, put food on your table personally by yourself, then now you can't afford to date. Um, if if you can't afford uh, to even feed yourself, now you can't afford to date. Uh, but if you got it, man, go out there and get you a date. I'm trying to get me a date, to be honest. So uh, I want you to date. I want you to find someone. You know, uh, we all need our helpmate. We all need our soulmate. I just want to make sure, though, like when we do um, actually find the person, especially as a man, we're brothers. I'm going to keep it real here. As a brother, let's just make sure we're in a good place, at least a stable place financially, when we do start dating. Let's, let's talk about um, moving on from the dating conversation to the wedding conversation. And this, uh -oh. is something that, this is something that's extremely important because etiquette is something that I realize not everybody has because not everybody is taught etiquette. Mm -hmm. And um, 
unfortunately, a lot of people just don't know. Mm -hmm. So when you don't know what to do, you do what you know. Yeah. So this is a big issue. Mm. <laughs> this is a big <laughs> issue. So, okay. Let me ask you this question. If you can't afford a wedding gift or an appropriate wedding gift, should you go to the wedding? Should you give a bogus gift? Can you say, I'll, I'll give it to you later when I have it? What, what's the etiquette for that? Man, go to the wedding. You know, really, let's go to the wedding, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, my thing is go to the wedding if you have the right motives. Um, you know, I don't want you to be focused on like, well, I don't have any. I don't have any money, so I don't want to go. No, I'll go because your prayers, your support, uh, your 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 mission to help them win is more important. Now, uh, give them a little bit of something, something. Give them a card. Don't go there, you know, empty, empty-handed. But you don't need to go there with the big old thousand-dollar gift or the big old box gift. No, give them something uh, that that comes from your heart, and they'll receive it well. I remember I went to a wedding, and I didn't have any money. I actually made a card and a girlfriend at the time who I was dating, uh, she actually gave me a very creative idea. And you'll believe it or not, it cost me maybe $7 to do that whole gift. And they sent both of us a letter saying thank you so much because they really felt it came from the heart. And it wasn't just a gift just to be a gift. Yeah. I'm glad that, Rashad, I'm glad you brought up the word etiquette. Because we're going to move right into our next segment. Perfect segue, man. The next segment we're going to do, Anthony, is called Money Manners. Right? So that's all about etiquette. So this, this segment... We're gonna ask you some questions about etiquette when it comes to money. So I'm mm. gonna start with one. Are right, you ready for this? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> okay. How late is it too late to pay someone back? On time. <laughs> that's too late. I mean, if you pay me back on the date that we agreed, I think that's too late. You know, I think you, you should be focused on, you know, getting me my money back or giving. I don't really loan out money. If I give you money, I'm giving it to you. I, I, don't, I don't expect you to pay it back to me because I just believe that just messes up friendships and relationships. Uh, so if I can't afford to give you the money, I'm not going to give you the money. Uh, but if, if you did agree to pay someone back, here's what I want you to do. That's your number one assignment. Don't go buy nothing to eat. Don't be going out on dates. Don't be spending any extra money nowhere else. If your friend loaned you money, if your family loaned you money, um, you know, you agreed to pay them back by X date, you know, try to pay them back before then. If you cannot, then you need to have a clear conversation with them. Be like, yo, I'm struggling. Here's where I'm at. I just want to over, I want to over communicate and be honest with you and just let you know, hey, this is where I'm at. I hope everyone's listening. I'm, I'm sure somebody has a friend right now that is they're like, I'm that person or this person owes me. Let me let, let me ask you this. As far as um, the relationship conversation is concerned, uh, I believe 48% of marriages that end in divorce are because of financial reasons. It's like the number mm -hmm. one cause of divorce. A lot of these issues are because the conversation was never brought up at the beginning. So there's a lot of issues that people have in relationships like some people want to have joint bank accounts. Some people mm. are strongly against that. Some people believe that you should only pay cash for things and have no debt. Some people believe that you can have debt and just use your credit card. So a lot of issues come in relationships, but nobody ever really talks about it until they actually get into it. So what are some ways, how do you start the conversation about finances when you're courting somebody, when you're in a relationship? At what stage should you start and how do you start? You know, it's so funny, man. I just did a show on that, um, bro. And I think um, the opinion is not popular, but I believe before you get into any committed relationship, you should have a serious conversation about finances because you're right. 
nearly 48% of them, uh, marriages end because of money. Now, check this out. It's not because of the lack of money. It's because of the thought process behind the money. And so it's very important to know up front, do we align uh, with the same vision when it comes to our money? You know, are we on the let's avoid debt track or are we on the I want to just use other people's money to build wealth? Now, whatever side you on, just make sure that you are aligned on the same side when it comes to finances, when it comes to raising your children, when it comes to your spiritual wealth. You know, you just got to really just have the healthy conversation. So for me, I suggest if you're dating with the intent of settling into a committed relationship that ultimately leads to a marriage before you get into a committed relationship, have the conversation. And the conversation is simple. You know, let's can we just talk about your vision? What's your vision for your life? What's your vision for your family? What's your vision for your finances? What are some of your goals? Do you want to build a home? Do you want to have multiple homes? Do you want to pay for your kids college? I mean, do you want to leave a legacy? And I think that's an easy way to have the conversation without going into I know Professor Key said that talk about the credit score and stuff like that. For me, I don't care about your credit score. I don't know what's up here in your mind. What what exactly do you do? And then honestly, where do you spend your money? You know, I, I would definitely ask them, you know, do you have the Google Pay app? Do, can we look and see where do you spend your money? Uh, the most, you, know? <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I mean, I just think the conversation has to happen because what you don't want to do is get married. Then you have the conversation and then you find out that you're not aligned and going in the same direction. That's where the start of divorce starts happening. So before you get committed, before you fall in love, before you all get deep into this thing, have the important conversations. And one of that is, and where do we stand when it comes to our finances? Yeah, this sounds like a conversation that we're having at a nice restaurant, you know, eating top of the line food, maybe some red wines on the table. My question is, when we come to money, man, is what's the etiquette for who pays for the date? <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, are we talking about the first date, bro? Or are we talking about like any dates? <laughs> what, what, what are we talking about? Well, well, let's start with the first one and hopefully we get to some more, right? <laughs> this, this might be the reason we don't get number two. Uh, one of my uh, God sisters, she went out on the first date with this guy and she didn't have any money. I literally gave her some money. I said, hey, listen, he's going to pay for the date. But if something goes down and you're uncomfortable, leave your half, call me and I'll come get you. So I want to make sure our queens are prepared. But at the same time, brothers, listen, first date, take her out. Now, check this out. I'm going to be real. I'm going to put myself on blast on Earn Your Leisure's Network. Your boy, Anthony, I'm not spending no more than $50 to $100 on the first date. I'm not dropping two, three, four, four hundred dollars on the first date, bro. Fifty? Fifty dollars, man. Appetizer. Yeah, we're going. Where we, where we going? No, no, no. No, no, no. See, that's what I'm saying. It's like I don't want to go for me, I don't want to go to a restaurant on the first date and we're sitting across the table and we're a little uncomfortable with each other, just staring at each other, eating food, having to talk loud over the people that's in the restaurant. So I want to get creative and I want to find something. What does she enjoy? What is, what is, I want to see her personality. I want to see, can she smile? Can she laugh? Can she have a good time? I'm always serious. We're always serious. We do this for a living. So I want to go somewhere we can actually have fun. I can see her character. I can see how she laughs. I can see if she can have fun and let's do that. Then the second date, I'm a wine and diner, but the first state i just want to get to know you i want to laugh i want to smile i want to see can we vibe and then we go from there now we're talking about a 50 75 dollar date that's fun that's creative i put effort into it i'm going to plan the whole thing out i'll get a second date don't get it twisted <laughs> well explained. let me ask you this this is a big question that once again not a lot of people was taught tipping 
Tipping is extremely important. And uh, I was always taught, you know, 20%, that's like rule of thumb. But that tipping waiters is only one part of tipping. Do yeah. you tip your Uber driver? Do you tip your the guy that takes your your um your trash out like at the end of the year? Do you give it like who do you tip? How do you go about tipping? How do you know if it's the right amount to tip? It becomes very complicated. Like mm-hmm. even the kid, um, the, the bus drivers for the kids. Yeah, yeah. tip them. They gotta get tipped. Yeah, at, I, at I, Christmas time. I, I tip the bus miners too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. What, how, what's what's the what's the etiquette on tipping? Man, tipping is very important. Tipping for me is just showing your your generosity spirit. I'm very big on being a giver. I believe it's best to give than it is to receive. Um, so I I, I tip. You know, I, I tip like crazy restaurants. I try to do my goal, depending on where I go and how much money and much bread I drop is about 30 to 40 percent for me, because when you tip, then every time you walk into that that establishment, every time you walk into that restaurant, now they're going to take very good care of you because they know, hey, yo, Anthony just tipped me 30 percent last time. Uh, right around the holidays, I love to get about 50 percent, but bare minimum, like you all said, 20 percent. That's your barber. Uh, that's your bus drivers. That's the guy who cuts your grass. That's the young lady that's watching your kids, your babysitters. Um, you know, I have a dog. And so every time I drop her off when I'm out of town, um, I tip them. You know, I just want to show people that, hey, I am grateful for uh, you taking care, good care of me. And I know people who are living off of tips, their base pay is horrible. So let's help them out and let's, let's really be a good blessing. But really, bare minimum, 20%. And anytime you can tip within your budget, Make sure you're tipping. If you can't afford to tip, man or woman, uh, just don't go to that establishment. Oh, man, that's some sound advice. Sound advice, man. So if you can't order the steak and tip, keep an eye on that dude. All right, Anthony, we got a few more minutes with you. We're going to do a lightning round. All right, Uh-oh. you ready for this? So how, how, fast, how fast do you want me to go? We'll answer them as fast as you can, and then we're just going to ask you the next one. We're going to start the lightning round. Are you ready, my man? All right. All right, here we go. All right, here's the first question I'm throwing at you. All right, what are some options to start creating generational wealth? Man, ownership. I mean, for me, it's going to be eliminating debt, get you a fully funded emergency fund so that way you're not going back into debt and start taking advantage of like your 401ks, your your Roth IRAs, uh, maxing out your... um, some other growth mutual funds and getting into some land. You know, uh, one of my mentors said, hey, it's not just about actually buying property. It's also about buying land. So if you're looking for wealth and true wealth and long lasting wealth, purchase some land because, you know, hey, we can't make no more land. We can build buildings. So if you get that land, let it sit, pass it down to your kids. Now you're talking about true generational wealth. So the key thing for me when it comes to building wealth is about eliminating debt, making sure you have a solid plan to fall on in case of emergency and start ownership let me ask you this um how much money is wealth this is an interesting conversation because everybody gauges wealth differently but you know we all have aspirations of being wealthy a lot of us so but it's kind of hard to do that if you don't have a measuring stick yeah what is wealth? what is what is wealthy Man, wealth to me is is way more than just money, man. I'm, I'm going to keep it above with you. Actually, I'm going to keep it real since it, this is the real deal. Wealth to me is about options. Wealth to me is about peace. Wealth to me is about education. Wealth to me is about influence. Um, but since we are talking about money today, a simple, basic understanding when it comes to wealth. How long can you last without physically working or physically having to make money? So if you have enough money in your savings account to last a year, you're wealthy for one year. 
from a financial perspective. But if you have the education, if you mind your business, which is our mind, you know, and your mind is your number one asset, your, your business, if you continue to grow this, you'll be wealthy forever. If you continue to get the education, if you continue to uh, rock out with Google Pay, if you continue to watch Earn Your Leisure and then come check me out at the table, you know, we will help you get the education and the information to build long lasting wealth. And I, I just want people to hear me when I say this. Wealth from a financial perspective is, hey, how long can you live without physically working and doing anything uh, to make money? But when you really look at it, wealth it, for generational wealth is what are you passing down to your kids? Not just financially. You can give them a million dollars, but if you don't give them the education and the information and the opportunity to take that million and flip it to two, three million, you're not passing them down wealth. You're just giving them opportunities that more than likely they will lose it. When there was a study that came out said the first generation makes it, the second generation maintains it, then the third generation, they lose it. And why do they lose it? It's because they didn't have the education. They didn't have the wealth of knowledge to maintain it. So wealth is not just about money. It's also about the education and the information. Yeah, I, I use that quote a lot. The first generation works hard. The second generation gets to see the hard work. They add education plus experience to it. The third generation never gets to see the hard work. So they end up squandering money. And I'm glad you brought up the word education because my next question is coming directly from that topic. Why isn't financial literacy taught in schools? What's your thoughts? Man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated about that uh, because it's funny. Um, education is teaching us how to read, write, process information, and add. They're giving us this information so we can go off to school, get an education, rack up in debt, so we can get a job. So education from a school perspective is to get a job, and a job and or a business produces what? Income. So it, it, it bothers me that our schools are not teaching us how to be good stewards of the income that you're giving us the education to get. But we got to start changing that around. Uh, we got to start doing more stuff like this, with like what, what Google, Google Pay is doing today and start bringing education to the table. Let me ask you this. As far as um, for parents, uh, allowance. I never had an allowance growing up. Um, so how do you feel about allowance? How do you feel about chores? Should, should children get paid for things that they should already be doing, like making up their bed? Um, is allowance a hindrance? Mm. Is chores good, bad? What's, what's your thoughts on that? You know, bro, man, I grew up in a very strong, strong home, man, um, in a very spiritual home, right? And my mom and dad said, I remember going over to my best friend's house and his dad paid him $20 for keeping his room cleaned all week. So I came home and I said, mom and dad, Where's my $20? And my mom and dad said, for what? It was like, because I made up my bed all week. They said, I'm not going to pay you for what you need to be doing and what you should be doing. Uh, but I, what I will do, go out there and cut the grass, I'll pay you. As a matter of fact, go out there, get the lawnmower, go across the street and ask your neighbor, can you cut their grass? And you'll get paid. I think we got to start teaching our young people, um, you know, commission based rather than chore based. You know what they do inside the house. That's that's just part of them because the world's not going to pay them for making up their bed when they turn 25 years old. The world's not going to pay them for washing their own dishes. So we got to start raising up our child, our children in the way that they should go. So I'm commission based. Hey, son. Hey, daughter. I'm not going to pay you to do this around here because I'm teaching you how to be an adult when you get older and when you get your own home. But let me teach you how to be a young teen entrepreneur. Let's go get you a, a, a dog walking business. Let's go get you a, a cutting grass business. Hey, you know what? You're real good at hair. Let's go 
get you a hair business at 15 years old. Let's start teaching our young people that money doesn't grow on trees and it doesn't, you don't get money just because you're my child. Now you do have privileges um, and I will give you some of those privileges, but I'm not going to make your life easy simply because you're my child. You're going to work for it because your mom and dad had to work for it. That's very profound. I had just spoke about this the other day and I feel like that definitely can hurt a child. And um, I, when it, I used to love when it snowed because um, I used to shuffle uh, my neighbor's um, cars out and make a couple hundred dollars on a good on a good day. Um, and I feel like stuff like that, you start developing an entrepreneurial mindset as opposed to just being handed things that, like you said, in the grand scheme of things, they're kind of like trivial things that you you already have to do in life anyway, like wash the dishes, things of that nature. Yeah. So now you're already kind of developing a dependent employee mindset as opposed to a business owner entrepreneur mindset. So sometimes when we think we're actually helping people, we can actually be hurting them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of my uh, kids um, that I mentor, he made $5,000 last summer just from walking dogs, just from walking dogs. He made enough money in one summer to go buy his dream car for his age, uh, just simply because he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go out here and walk dogs. And some of those people who are saying you can walk them, they said, hey, can you watch my dog over you know, the weekend since we're going out of town? And his mom and dad turned their backyard into a kennel. But we got to start teaching our young people at a, at a young age how to be entrepreneurs, how to think about ownership uh, so this way they can start producing money. And, and I think yeah. we got to start doing that with our young people. That's a great example. I'm glad that you that, that you used that, right? Because you said he saved the money to buy the car that he wanted. So what are some strategies? What can you do to save money when you don't make much money? Uh, number one, go make more money. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's, let's be real. You know, it's like, let's never say that we cannot make any more money. We can make money. But um, one of the key things that I'm very, very big on is two things. Budgeting and Google Pay. I want you to get on a straight, solid, zero-based budget. You can list all your money, list all of your expenses, and it should equal zero. When you're at your expenses, go over to Google Pay, look at all of your money that you've actually been spending when it comes to your debit card, if you got a credit card, mm. uh, you know, look at all the ways you're spending money so that way you can see, okay, hey, where can I cut off at? You know, I'm spending too much money on food. I'm spending too much money on, you know, these particular apps. So how you can save money is by looking at your detailed budget and see where, where can you eliminate some things from. I do that often and I do it at least once a quarter personally with myself. Really look at your budget and you can go from there. Let me ask you this um, before we wrap. Everybody talks about generational wealth all the time. It's a very catchy um, phrase, but what are some practical steps that the average person can take to start the path of creating generational wealth? Man, I think the first thing is education, man. You know, I think oftentimes you want to jump in like, hey, how do I get more money? How do I flip this money? But the key thing is where there is no wisdom, where there is no knowledge, that's where people perish. And so I think that if we can honestly get the, if you really want to build true generational wealth, you got to start, you know, listening to podcasts. You got to start getting the education, reading the books. So that way, when you do get the opportunity to start, you know, investing into certain things, start a business, um, you have the education and knowledge to keep what you actually are able to get. So I think number one, is get the education. Uh, number two is I'm very big on it. Y'all know me. You got to eliminate debt. You got to take debt off of the table. So that way you're moving forward, not paying for your past. Uh, 
And when you start doing that, a prime thing, man, is start investing. Take advantage of, you know, your 401k matches. If they have, uh, you know, a Roth, there's three things when it comes like the 401k. I always say look at the match first, uh, look at the Roth, then look at the traditional. You know, so max that out. I always say invest 15% of your income, you know, so that can either go to your 401k, then go over to like a Roth of uh, Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, depending on where you are. Uh, you can do that and then start looking at ownership, businesses, uh, land, um, that kind of stuff. But a key thing I want to tell you up front is get the education, get the information. Because you can be watching Earn Your Leisure. You can watch myself. You can watch Professor Keys. You can have Google Pay app and see where you're doing. But if you don't have the information and the knowledge and continuing to grow your business, which is your mind, your number one asset, you'll never get there because you don't have the information to get there. Powerful words. Powerful words. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate it. Words of wisdom from the great Anthony O'Neill. We call that cloth talk. Uh, thank you thank you and uh, like you said it comes down to education and i think that um you know we're in the age now where you can't really make an excuse Mm. for not like you know previously you know you could make an excuse for not knowing but now you know we're in the information age where everything is readily available to you on you know youtube google uh social media apps podcast apps it's just a matter of how you use it you know, you can use it to waste time and do a lot of frivolous nonsense, or you can use it to educate yourself. So, you know, we just have to make the right decisions. And you'd be surprised how many doors education can actually open. It kind of mm-hmm. sounds cliche, but it's true. The more you know, it's just like it's like mind blowing, you know, what opportunities present itself. Because there's opportunities in front of you right now, but you're just not able to take advantage of it because you're not educated. So you don't even realize the opportunity is actually there. The more you know, the more you know. That is a fact. That is a fact. Facts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. And there was a lot of actual items given out today. I want to, uh, again, thank Professor Keys, uh, Keezia Williams, and, and Anthony O'Neill for just delivering some powerful insight. And as we always say, man, we can give you the information, but don't turn it into information overload. Don't hoard it. Actually apply it and execute on the information, right? We always say information is on us, execution is on you. And those words live true today. Uh, and. I want to thank them again for coming on. Appreciate y'all. Yeah, I feel like today was a very important day because you know, we always talk about a lot of complex stuff like you know stock market and options and things of that nature. But these are like regular everyday issues, topics that get looked over a lot, but they're extremely important. Mm-hmm. And you can't build a house without a solid foundation. So all of this stuff is solid foundational work. So it's extremely, extremely important that we covered it. So yeah, and, and again, I'm glad we got to do it with Google Pay because that is one of those tools that can absolutely help you. And I know that's one of the things that we work on ourselves is like being more organized. And so having all your financial uh, portfolio right in front of you and having it done mm-hmm. in a very helpful and simple way is extremely beneficial. Yeah, I want to thank uh, Google Pay uh, for sponsoring this episode of Earn Your Leisure. This was really fun, man. We got to do this again. For sure, for sure. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. 
Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe. No minimum balance requirements and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.